Greetings, rare ones. My name is Joanne, and I started the Rare Birds podcast because I wanted to hear from people like myself who come from emerging markets or the developing world, as we're called, who are entrepreneurial, resourceful, passionate, and energized to take their vision from idea to startup. Each week, you will hear me interview founders and teams from across emerging markets who are in the early stages of building their businesses. From time to time, you will also hear me speak with established ecosystem builders, mentors, investors, and business professionals who share knowledge based on their years of experience. This podcast is for anyone who is interested in hearing from the next wave of change makers across emerging markets, building in various industries from agro to tech to health, beauty, and all in between. This podcast is also for those who have ideas, but they're not entirely sure how to make them a reality. They're looking for inspiration and encouragement. We call ourselves Rare Ones. And if this sounds like you, then welcome to the family. Sit back, relax, and listen in to our always so good conversation. Bye for now. Greetings, Rare Ones, and welcome to the Rare Birds podcast. I'm your host, Joanne, and today I'm joined by my guest in Nigeria, Dari. Welcome to the podcast, Dari. Hey, hi, Joanne. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for ha- having me. Yeah, it's really nice to have you on. So, Dari. Cool. Yes. Before we start talking about your company, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? And a little bit about your life before you started running your, your company. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I'm Dari Odumade. I'm co-founder and CEO at Check It Technologies. Um, before I started Check It Technologies, I've started two other companies in the past. And even before then, I trained professionally as a geologist. Um, I studied at the University of Ibadan. Nigeria, where I trained as a geologist, and during my time at the University of Ibadan, and in my second year, I started my first software company with a friend, and this was called Strictly UI, and today mm-hmm. it has over 30,000 students signed up. Um, mm-hmm. Interestingly, um, most students that go to the University of Ibadan, perhaps they want to enter that university for the first time, uh, they actually join the online community first. And this online community is the strictly UI community. Um, so it's, it has really grown to a pool of students today. Um, we exited that and you know gave it to the university to keep managing. But today is just more of a Facebook page that has so many students building a community around it. Um, during my time at the university as well, you know, I started as a geologist. I uh, also ventured into my final year, ventured into writing a paper uh, with one of my um, lecturers then and you know we posted it online and it's it's gotten a lot of other papers referencing it today uh, a lot of papers across the world from china europe and the rest of the world also africa and it's in the area of geophysics um, mm. uh, when it comes to aeromagnetic data uh, to picture the subsurface so yeah i'm a scientist like that i like to see myself as a scientist um, i mm. like to solve problems uh, mm. which which is um, which is what science really helps me do 
and it helps me to be very innovative with my problem solving skills. So I try to do things in uh, not the regular ways. And, and then um, in my final year at the university as well, I um, when I left, I started a, a, another software company. Um, okay. So I started a, a, like a streaming music platform, uh, which is mm-hmm. called Sharebunk. Uh, that didn't go for so long, but I mean, we're still able to sign uh, 3 million tracks um, to stream from one of these uh, um, Fuga technology in, in Europe um, mm-hmm. to stream their, their catalog in Africa. Uh, we also got mm-hmm. uh, an offer for one of, one of the three major labels. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, they gave an offer, but I didn't take their offer at that time. Uh, mm-hmm. But then soon after, the company had to had to close doors because uh, you know we needed finance to keep growing. And you know how B2C can be. It's not like a B2B where you're making money off the businesses. You need a, right. you know, a large uh, pool of customers to actually make something tangible. Uh, but soon after that, I joined, um, I joined Mel Tota, Entrepreneurial School mm-hmm. of Technology in Ghana, uh, mm-hmm. which was more like a, a software program where mm-hmm. you actually learn to build software and also you learn entrepreneurial skills uh, yeah. to manage software companies. Uh, your company gets invested in, uh, which nice. was a very, very interesting period of my life. Yeah, it was a very so interesting actually, period of my you life. Actually, you actually went to Ghana for that program? Yes, yes. I was in Ghana for a year for that program. Um, oh. uh, also, within that year, I, I also, you know, studied um, in entrepreneurial studies at the University of Bocconi in Italy. Uh, mm-hmm. This was actually another three-month period as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it was... Uh, it's been, it was it was more of a learning period for me. I just wanted to go back to school and learn the basics again to do it mm-hmm. right. The third time I was going to start a company. Yeah. Uh, so soon after I was dedicated a year and a half of my life to this training, I started yeah. my my current company, uh, Check It. So I founded Check It um, through the MEST program. Okay. Uh, and then soon after the MEST program, yeah, I made it a full company. And mm-hmm. you know now we have. We are, we are boasted of uh, six to, to nine uh, full-time uh, employees. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's been really exciting so far. Okay. So I have a question. Before you mentioned the company that you mentioned, the music okay. company, and you said you were offered yeah. a deal by, by one of the major um, music companies or whatnot. How did that happen? How did they find you? Oh, so, okay. Um, so at the end of the day, I like to take risks and I like okay. to put myself out there. When I don't obviously, care, obviously, if deliver, you're building right? businesses. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so interestingly, at that time, at that time, we had reached um, a thousand uh, monthly active users streaming on the platform. Yeah. So I reached out to, to one of the, um, to the, to the head of partnerships. So I went on LinkedIn. I actually wanted to, so you have to, you have to be very deliberate about this thing. So I went on LinkedIn. I wanted mm-hmm. to reach out to one of the major channels and actually get them to sign their catalog for my platform to stream it in Africa. Because I realized most streaming companies in Africa barely have global content. They mainly have African content, you know, but I wanted something different. So I wanted this major label to give me their catalog so I can stream in the market, in African markets and prove to them how much Africans love the kind of music that they make. Um, right. So I, I reached out 
to the head of partnerships, global head of partnerships of these major labels. They are pretty huge. They are actually very huge. Um, they they are yeah. So they uh, they basically have the um, the catalog of Michael Jackson, you know, Chris Brown, all the major labels, all the major artists you you could think about. So I reached out to her and on LinkedIn with my LinkedIn email um free service i got from linkedin <laughs> so i just uh, reached out to her i created right. well succinct um uh, message which yeah. i could tell that you know read it she was going to get back to me so yeah. it happened that way she read it back to me we organized the first call we had the call she was excited i was excited she linked me up to the head of um of of africa the company yeah and yeah. you know where from there then we had a conference call. I told them my offer. They told me what they could offer as well. But they, they told me hey, they kind of come back to me with uh, with you know the the kind of offer they want. Uh, and then yeah, we when they came back to me with that offer, which I didn't really like because they came back with an offer of uh, taking sixty five percent of the revenue. Uh, it didn't really excite me at first. Um, so when I went back to think about it and looked at the books. Um, it looked like over the next five years, we're just going to keep making losses. Uh, so I said no to the deal. Um, however, going back to the books again, I realized, oh, if if I had taken the deal and renegotiated a year after, uh, it would have made a lot of sense because then I would have made a very huge impact in the markets with the amount of um, streams that I would have brought in with the kind of catalog that, you know, we would stream on. Um, but yeah, that's, that didn't go so well because when I didn't take the deal, um we lost uh the company basically didn't thrive anymore because uh, there was no money to keep to keep it running music business is a very expensive business to run when it comes to streaming uh mm-hmm. it's very capital intensive right. yeah so there's it's always for positive cash flow at all times with music business so if there's no cash flow the company will definitely most likely just die yeah and but that, the point is but the point is you reached out to them and they responded nice exactly really nice okay so then there's check it so this is the third time right third time around so you're doing it right this time so so how did the whole how did check it come about how did that happen um yeah so check it basically started off at MEST, like i said so MEST is the melt auto entrepreneurial school of technology in ghana and you know it really happened when i was um working with my friends at mm-hmm. best so we're more of a doing more of research ground research to actually understand what problems were there in the market to solve and i really wanted to build something that would have a huge impact on africa you know that it can change the life of africans everyday africans mm-hmm. that's what i mean so um mm-hmm. so quickly one of my friends uh, she's a pharmacist uh, mm-hmm. she was also in the mess program so, so she already had experience um patients dying from counterfeit medications, right? Mm-hmm. Because she had this first experience in the market. So, mm-hmm. you know, this really touched and I really wanted to understand why this was happening uh, around us and no one is really doing anything about it. Uh, but mm-hmm. then there were people actually doing, trying to solve this problem already. You know, there are a few companies already in the markets with labels on products that you could, mm-hmm. that you could authenticate by SMS. Uh, but then, but then you realize that 
a lot of times these products don't get these labels don't get authenticated people don't scratch them then we decided to go out into the market speak to people speak to everyday mm -hmm. people and understand why why they why they buy products from a pharmacy and don't even check if it's a counterfeit or original and the answer mm -hmm. you'd get is that people just trust the pharmacy they are buying from people just trust oh. their neighbor and expect the neighbor pharmacy to sell to them you know the original product and then they use their body as well as the litmus test so i i take i buy a pill today i take mm -hmm. it if it doesn't work mm -hmm. for me it doesn't get me well then that's when i have concerns and then i go to another Ooh. pharmacy to buy some right that's so quite dangerous. very dangerous and you know this this was actually what was killing people because then it, it affected the liver it affected the livers it affected the liver it affected the kidneys you know mm -hmm. so this it's it's very dangerous but people don't really pay attention because it had never happened to them that often so you realize that counterfeits can be in two ways right it can be fake in the sense that it does not it's not the original material it doesn't contain the right active ingredients or it could be substandard which means that it could be the same brand the same product but of lower quality right because yeah. it doesn't have all you know it doesn't have the right proportion of the the potent material it should have right so oftentimes if a lot of pharmaceutical because pharmaceuticals are more or less the most dangerous because then you're taking right. them into your body uh, pharmaceuticals mm -hmm. and also baby food right so mm. these are these are very dangerous uh, products to be counterfeited because uh, they, they could be very deadly right, right. So, so so when we realized this that that was when we uh, i came up with the solution of actually being able to create an authentication system that would reward mm -hmm. the consumer for checking the product so check it okay. basically allows the consumer to authenticate the product but also get rewarded for doing that now in the process of authentication you take up label you scan it or you use the ussd you will see that the product is original you see the product's information the expiry date mm -hmm. but you also mm -hmm. ask to answer three questions so three okay. brief questions uh, which mm -hmm. are which are going to be which have um, options attached to them now once you answer them you get mm -hmm. a reward now the instant ah. reward is either or merchandise so basically something to an incentive to motivate people to actually want to check products right so that's what we designed and now uh, mm. we also realized that the brand had something back you know the brands didn't just want to put labels on their products and pay for it basically which would increase their margin because they'll push that cost to the consumer which will now increase the cost of the product and so instead of doing that we basically made sure that the brands get direct benefits for putting labels on their products which is data brands are actually able to get data which is why we actually have these questions in the survey process in the authentication mm -hmm. process so once you once you answer those questions those data information goes straight to the producers and they can see insights about what their consumers think about their product the location the consumer is scanning from um you know what prompted the consumer to actually buy that product um, what other product would have the consumer bought instead of this product you know basically insights about what consumers are doing with the products of the buyer of the producers which will give the producers insights about how they can better sell their products right? so you're giving them data we also design yeah we're giving them data basically mm -hmm. essentially data essentially mm -hmm. 
Now we, have, we also give them that the reward system is also robust enough to house the different kind of rewards, promotional rewards that these brands like to run. So that's mm-hmm. so we we really, really play around the um, the consumer space, the consumer goods space. So you have, you mm-hmm. have your FMCG goods, uh, mm-hmm. electronics as well, as well as pharmaceutical goods. So that's mm. essentially the markets where we uh, where we dominate today. Mm. Yeah. But going back to the, going back to the problem, right? Because counterfeit medication is a big. It's it's a. I think it's a public health crisis in some countries in the African continent, right? Yes, it is. It's it's so, a huge problem, really. And it, and it, yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a huge problem, really, because um, you realize that most countries in Africa um, mm-hmm. don't have product serialization enforced. So what mm-hmm. that means is each product just has a barcode. It doesn't okay. have a unique identity that can be used to trace the origin of that product. But if you look at other European countries or Asia or the U.S., there's a, there's a system, there's a closed system that mm-hmm. makes it easy for you to and track products. Now, okay. if you're going to sell pharmaceutical in Russia, for instance, you would have to abide by the um, the government's uh, rules and regulation, which includes product serialization. Now, this this is the kind of service that we offer. Africa is beginning to leapfrog towards that direction as well, uh, but we're just uh, a little too late, so to say, right? Because there have been so much cases of counterfeiting on the mm. continent for so long, years right and you know this these are measures that should have been put in place from the start so producers producing things producing products all around the world wouldn't just see africa as a dump ground but it just mm-hmm. won't dump you know uh, products that you know that cannot be traced back to them you know, yeah. just dump and, and sell you know instantly it's, that's that's what they do today in africa uh, but this needs to change which is why mm-hmm. you know ventures like check it we are working very closely with government bodies to to actually help out and make sure that we create this standardization for how products should be serialized when coming to the markets and working with um, bodies like GS1 and NAFTAC here in Nigeria. I was just going to ask you that yeah. because a company on your own, you can't be doing everything. You need legal frameworks and regulations, right? So I was going to ask you if you, if they're government, like what is the government doing? To tackle the problem. Yeah, I mean, so like, like, like I said, you know, um, NAVDAC now we, they're looking at you know implementing serialization um, yeah. for pharmaceuticals primarily before even moving it to FMCG products, which which is a good step. You know, they are working yeah. with uh, uh, with a body like GS1. So GS1 is more of the barcode provider for almost eighty percent of the products uh, you see every day, right? So they they provide the barcode that you see on products. Now, uh, GS1 doesn't do product serialization because barcodes are not are not unique to each product. They're only unique to a brand, right? So you see a Milo and you see a barcode on Milo, but that same barcode you see is on every other Milo product, right? Mm-hmm. So which mm-hmm. means that it is not it is not unique to that product, but it's unique to the brand. But serialization now means each product has a unique number that can be used to trace it back to the batch. It came from that can be used mm-hmm. to trace it back to the world line it came from as well. So you can actually trace every product within that branch and know exactly where they are uh, anywhere in the world. So that's 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 the service that we are providing 
in collaboration with uh, with the government. Okay, all right. But you're you're overall you're using technology to tackle fake drugs. That's it. The problem. That's it. right. That's, it. that's a that's yeah. a that's such a mammoth of a task though because I mean, are we ever going to stop people from selling fake medication? Is that ever going to happen? Because that's a big market. There's a lot of money in that business. Trust me, it is. It's a huge market. I mean, Sofitin is a trillion dollar market globally, right? Pharmaceutical itself, uh, it's it's in the billions, you know, of counterfeit products being sold annually, uh, globally. And over the globe, you realize a million people die because of this counterfeiting issues of drugs. Now, <clears throat> most of the numbers of people were mostly affected by counterfeit medications and the likes happens to be in Africa and Asia, mm. but Africa primarily mm. because Africa gets, Africa mainly gets African countries, uh, now different countries on the continent actually get their drugs from, from mainly from Asia, right? So we get our drugs from India, from Pakistan, coming into Africa oftentimes. But you also realize that these same regions are the regions that are producing and providing the fake drugs that we import. Mm. Mm. So, and also the market is also very, very hugely fragmented. You know, you have so many distributors, so many middlemen in the market. There is no direct line or direct um, importer that has a license to import particular, even though license is actually issued on paper to a few, but you realize that there are numerous in the market, especially in Nigeria, that mm -hmm. are importing the same medication from different sources. So it's, mm. it's, it's a very parallel, parallel importations are also happening. So if there was a way to have like a direct um, system where you can definitely know who the right producers are, a system that checks meets the right producers, checks mm -hmm. meets the right distributors, mm -hmm. there's, uh, there's an alignment in, in the production and imports, importing of this of this product, then you can know that there's a, there's a, there's a, there's only one true line to trace, which is where technologies like blockchain becomes very efficient in doing right. things like this, having supply chain transparency, right? Right. Yeah. Do you, do you find that the, the counterfeit drugs, is it in a primarily in a particular area? Like for example, malaria drugs or hypertension drugs, or is it just spread across the board? Yeah. No, I mean, so it's it's uh, it's just like your regular, just like your other markets, right? You will always have counterfeiting happen to products that are are the most valuable or they are selling the selling the best. So malaria is is very rampant in West Africa, right? So definitely, there's a lot of malaria drugs, and you mm -hmm. you definitely see people buy more and more malaria drugs seasonally. So which means that there's a high rate of counterfeiting of malaria drugs. Similar thing happens with your 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 um, your anti diabetics uh, drugs and the likes. You know, chronic medication drugs. Mm -hmm. uh, these are also highly counterfeited in the market because it is they are they are drugs that are constantly in demand by mm -hmm. people who actually have pain suffering from one chronic ailment or the other, and they mm -hmm. need these drugs. But because mm -hmm. The, the volumes are high. People are constantly buying them. So the, there's, there's going to be a high risk of counterfeiting those kind mm -hmm. of drugs in the market. And because mm -hmm. we, have, we have a very porous, porous supply chain, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, there's easy for counterfeits to enter into the market. And mm-hmm. the regular shop just basically go and buy from the pharmacy and won't even know the difference. Even sometimes the distributors, the pharmacies, the retailers who buy from these major distributors don't even know the difference either. You know, mm. there are cases where they, they, they themselves can't even identify, you know, counterfeits pharmaceutical products. So mm-hmm. they mix it up with their, with their, own, their own inventory. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it all just gets mixed up in the market. But you definitely see it a lot, a lot of times in, in drugs or products that have high volume uh, net sales. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They have high demand in the market. So your malaria drugs, like you rightly said, medication drugs. Yeah, basically, you always see that in the market. And do you know stats for Nigeria, for example, the number of people that die um, due to fake medication each year? Yeah, so the, that data is not readily available. Mm-hmm. However, you could estimate you could estimate it from um, from data of how many counterfeit imports were being stopped by Amtrak, for instance, uh, in Nigeria. You know, so you could estimate it from that from that amount from that number. However, um, recently, uh, let's say about some in two thousand and seven or two thousand and eight, thereabout, mm-hmm. there, there was a case of uh, titin titin medication, mm-hmm. which killed over eighty eight. You know, oh. it's kids with diabetes, mm. and this 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 was the market because then now a lot of government bodies now decided to sit up to 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 end uh, the the counterfeit menace. But you know, it's the, the truth is this data is not readily available. But the, the also the fact is that these counterfeit products keep increasing in number year on year in the markets. You know, you always you definitely see on TV. Um, uh, that NAFDAQ has impounded uh, trillions worth of trillions of naira worth of uh, medication because you know people illegally brought them in, and mm-hmm. yeah, I mean even other products that you could even hear about that there are a lot of counterfeits of it in the market are your are the drugs that your sedatives, drugs that young people use for recreational purposes. So you mm. have your codeine. Mm-hmm. Codeine drug, the likes, you know, people, you know, young uh, codeine, refnol, drugs mm-hmm. like this, young people are going to buy them for recreational purposes. They just want to get high, mm. you know, but, but because, because they're selling in huge volumes, because young people are buying them a lot, so they're selling in huge volumes, it's an avenue for counterfeiters to create counterfeit variation of those drugs and push it mm. to the market as well. A lot mm. of the young people dying. From and liver failure, early kidney failure, because they are taking in counterfeit drugs without mm. even knowing it. You know, so you see that a lot happening in the market, yeah. Okay, so you're solving a big, big problem, and you're using blockchain yeah. to solve this problem, right? So you're here yes. today yes. <laughs> to shed some light on blockchain beyond payments, okay? But before we start talking about blockchain beyond payments, right? One of the things I've shared with you in the past is that I feel like those, not you in particular, but generally, the folks who work with blockchain technology don't always do a really good job at educating the masses on how the technology actually works. And I guess to some extent, you could say you don't, people don't, the consumer doesn't need to know how the technology works as long as it's solving the problem. But I think it's helpful to know how things how things are actually connected, right? So that's yeah, what you're here yeah, to do. I mean, yes, that's what I'm here to do today. 
Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much for, for making this interview, for making this podcast happen. Yes, yeah. it's, it's my pleasure to talk, talk about blockchain to the everyday person, about how how relevant the technology is and how it can be used. Yeah, because I see a lot of articles and posts about blockchain technology, and I just think, whoever wrote this, no. <laughs> because it's too it's too technical, it's too heavy, it's got too much jargon, and people don't understand that. And I feel like you have to you have to educate people and start with people where they are. You know, you can't you can't force things on people. And I think that when it comes to blockchain, there's a small number of people in the world that understand the technology very well and are using it. And that's great, like yourself, and you're solving really big problems. But the average person on the ground just has no idea what blockchain is. They know it's a buzzword. They know it's a buzzword, though, but they don't really know how it works or what it does. Yeah, yeah, really, precisely. I mean, so to me, I, I feel just like you said, it's it's interesting. It's an interesting technology, mm-hmm. and it's also very technical. Right? Some people are just not interested in the technical detail because it gets boring for them, right? But they just want to know how they can use it in their everyday life mm-hmm. and what exactly is actually helping them solve and why they should trust it to actually mm-hmm. help them solve what they think for them right so so basically it's it's really about understanding the basics of the technology mm-hmm. and why it's very relevant in, in our world um, okay i mean so it's yeah so let me just uh, start off by talking about talking about what the technology is itself and why it's so relevant you okay because that that way, people, uh, it's very easy to understand um, the basis of the technology and why we call it blockchain in the first okay. place. Okay. Yeah. So, so, uh, so look at it this way. Uh, the way it works is like you have a supercomputer, right? A mm-hmm. supercomputer uh, built to have, um, imagine you have your 16 gig RAM laptop. Mm-hmm. Basically, your brand new 16 gig. Uh, mm-hmm. It's empty right now. It's not processing anything. But by the time you put a lot of junk on it, a lot of stuff on it, it begins to process a lot of things at the same time. Mm-hmm. And you can use it without it getting slow. Now, imagine imagine your blockchain in a similar way. A supercomputer that has way more than 16 gig, let's say more like a terabyte worth of gig, mm-hmm. right? What of, um, what of, so it has a very high processing power. Now, with that high processing power, you are able to build on top of it uh, more like more like a protocol of uh, a consensus that is actually able to say um, uh, whatever information you give to me remains the way you give it to me. Okay, if that makes sense. So what that now means is that you have a system that records every instance of uh, events and it stays that exact same way. Because it right. cannot be changed by you, but changed mm-hmm. by any other person that has access to that same information. But they can see it. However, they can see that same information, but mm-hmm. they cannot change that information without it changing across all the different supercomputers that have that same copy, has a copy of that information. It's as simple as that. It's right? as so simple as what, that. What that, what that. Yeah, what that means is that you have a trusted system that would not change or cannot be easily manipulated by people who have power 
in politics or people who have social power and the likes because it's a system that is more or less transparent for everybody to see the information that's on it and if there's a change in that information it reflects across all the other systems basically so now, that's that's just a bit of of the blockchain yeah okay it's a decentralized system basically a very decentralized system yeah correct okay good all right so that was basic that was easy yeah so okay. i mean so once once you look at it from that perspective it mm -hmm. begins now we can now start building building on that on that knowledge we're building on the knowledge that we already have an existing protocol that mm -hmm. keeps information uh, the way it is stored right so it's more like a distributed ledger it's like you have a ledger a bank ledger uh, mm -hmm. but then it's it's distributed you know it has several pieces in several places but those several pieces can always be confirmed to be to be the same to be exact now from that protocol from that consensus so to say um, that we verified and validated on the system we can then create we can invite so let's say we let's say we invite um, investors to come mm -hmm. join in this in what we've created in this um, system that we've created and yeah. then they invest and say okay for what you've created for the information you stored here let's create tokens right and let's attach value to these tokens so tokens more like uh are more like your the assets or mm -hmm. the value of those that network that you've created now this this network you've created an investor comes in and invests money then the network becomes valuable right, right. so you you then have it valuable and exchangeable and then you mm -hmm. have it as tokens. Tokens uh, are more like your, your exchangeable value that people can be rewarded with for taking actions to make sure that you know things are keep keep working on the blockchain. So you're trying to build build a system to to continuously um, run, mm -hmm. but then for people to continuously take actions for it to keep running, there has to be an exchange of value, right? Which right. is where the tokens now come in. Now your tokens are, are can then be used to to pay more like your miners to pay people who come on board and mm -hmm. are able to mostly uh, help your system to run by taking actions that are necessary for for verification of the data that is being pushed to the blockchain. Right, so you have your validators who are basically. Uh, well, I don't really want to go into this kind of detail, but no, this detail. <laughs> Because then it gets super confusing. <laughs> it, gets, it gets really confusing. It gets really confusing. But Wait, I mean, I mean I, you I, said I the basics. Yeah. You said the basics. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, so from that basics, you don't understand that the second layer, the next layer to it is the layer of your smart contracts. So you already right. have your your blockchain, your blockchain built, your blockchain built. You have your distributed ledger already. Mm -hmm. Where you have mm -hmm. information stored, how 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 would how would it make sense for the real world to use? How would it make sense for other people to use? It's it's then by building uh, what you have, what you call your smart contracts, on top mm -hmm. of that blockchain for it to for for it to actually be used by third party developers and the likes to actually build everyday apps that can leverage that under underlying technology. So your your smart contracts would then allow uh, people who are building solutions for payments, solutions for 
for one thing or the other to be able to connect to the blockchain and be able to store that data that they are collecting or transferring on the blockchain on the ledger, the distributed ledger, the distributed ledger we we earlier mentioned. Got it. So, uh, yeah, I'm just I'm just trying to I'm trying I'm trying to build more like a tree of this mm -hmm. understanding. Mm -hmm. We started off from the, the layer of the blockchain itself. We started off with the machines itself, right. you know, the supercomputer that can run uh, can run processes, uh, high volume of processes without without stopping or or, or pausing. And then we right. have the distributor on top of those machines that is actually storing the information or keeping a copy of it in every system that they are connected to. Now, on top of that, we now mentioned that we have the smart contracts. Right, right, where you actually able to connect directly to that blockchain, to that ledger. Now, the smart contract can be connected via your your DApps or your Solidity and the likes. Now, right, and now connects in your everyday language, your your JavaScript and the likes through this means to to your existing products. So you have a utility product. So most of the products that people are uh, are aware of today. Uh, your payment solutions, right? You have your, your Coinbase, where you can mm -hmm. actually buy and sell Bitcoins. You, know, mm -hmm. you can actually trade coins. You can trade different cryptocurrencies. Um, yeah. So th this, uh, these are the very familiar solutions, right? Uh, which I don't want to talk about today, right? I want to talk more about how this distributed ledger or the distributed mm -hmm. network, centralized yeah. network, will mm -hmm. be used problems like counterfeit medications, right? Yeah. To actually solve that of broken supply chains, uh, to actually help solve the problem of uh, broken last mile delivery systems. You know, right. So this, this, these are also very fundamental, very key areas that blockchain can be used and be leveraged that we don't really talk about a lot today. Yeah. So. Uh, Go ahead. You want to, you have a question to ask? I was going to say, um, it's good to emphasize that there's a lot of benefits to the smart contracts, right? Like they're far, it's fast, it's efficient, it's secure, they're reliable. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, so so the 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 different um, blockchain providers, right? So recently, uh, you would have you would see that the different uh, uh, blockchain providers with different technologies that they apply. So we started off with the era of the bitcoins right but mm -hmm. then we know that bitcoin, the system bitcoin is a bit slower as compared to ethereum right the, the ethereum is a, it's, a, it's a lot faster uh, in right. creating blocks uh however that is even slower than your dark network so your, your dark network is is more of a, a super fast system that actually doesn't follow a direct line chain or follows more of a branch-like chain. So which means that you can have numerous operations happen together, happening at the same time on different branches and you wouldn't have to wait before a new block is formed. So mm -hmm. uh, your Ethereum take take uh, up to what, 14 minutes before it creates a new block. But with mm -hmm. DAG, it happens in a second. Um, the DAG network that we use right now for technology is mm -hmm. able to process 3,000 um, transactions per second. That's super fast, which mm. which means that it gets better. It gets better. It gets even faster with much more transactions happening on the system, right? So imagine this um, same kind of technology being used for the process of supply chain, where you have 
a producer on one end and you have a distributor on the other end. And you want to use a smart contract to execute a trade between the two of them, which means that there are already some set of rules that mm -hmm. the has to ab abide to and some set of rules that the distributor has to abide to. Now, this way, we can instantly verify the producer on the network so we can be sure that, oh, this producer produces legitimate products and he already ticks all the boxes of the conditions that we've set in a smart contract. Now, the distributor who is also coming to purchase is also very verified and validated that he has social amount of information and this information have been put on the blockchain, have been put on the smart contract and we can verify that, yes, this person actually has those information set there. Then we can initiate this trade automatically. Now, this process happens automatically. In this way, already we have verified the supplier and we verified the buyer. So mm. this same public of blockchain would help to facilitate such trade. So you, you, have, you have a very easy streamlined sale process between producers and distributors that you wouldn't have in the everyday phone call, you know, open markets system that we have currently today in Africa. So if you had if you had a closed network, because it would, it would then be a closed network where you only have players that have credentials and can be validated would actually be playing in that field. So you would only have producers that are, are really legitimate and they, they can be verified. And also distributors that are really legitimate and can be verified coming into play and that exchange can happen there, and you wouldn't have a seri series of uh, counterfeits being sold in the market. Because then, if the counterfeit product is sold in that in that kind of system, you can easily trace it back to the producer who actually mm. is originally, which makes it easy to catch such, you know, illicit traders. Right. right? Which so is essentially this, what that's essentially what your company is doing. Basically, right. Yeah. So you you they have this kind of system set up which makes which makes trading uh verifiable and it closes the gap of counterfeit now another thing another thing that the blockchain can even help you do further which is one of the things that we are doing is mm -hmm. uh the identities we create for the products so the products uh that we put our labels on so we have unique labels for each product that's our products realization service okay. now each label each label's identity, each product's identity, which is stamped on the label, is stored on the blockchain network as well. So mm. which means that if there's a change, which yes, which means that if there's a verification of that pin, the verification doesn't just happen at the pin level, it also happens on the blockchain network, which means that if there's a change in, the, in, in that pin, either being used again by another person, it can easily, easily be flagged and we can easily trace who, who verified that pin at one location, you know, and be able to trace that particular point or trace that particular pharmacy or trace that particular individual. And that person would definitely let us know, oh, we bought this product from so-so trader. Then you can trace it back to the end, to the top of the upstream, basically right. trace it back up to where the supply came from. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it just basically shows the, the value of, of the blockchain network beyond payments. You know, the value is a lot in, in how you can verify and validate um, sales or validate products that are being sold, or even validate the people, the buyers and sellers in a supply chain, which makes right. it easy for us 
trace and track um, products, right? It makes it very easy for us to trace, trace and track products. It creates more like a closed loop, a closed environment that mm -hmm. can be used to be uh, easily trace counterfeits and you know take away counterfeits from the markets because then you will have a closed chain and it's very difficult for, for counterfeiters to come and play in that kind of space. So in, the interesting thing is we're doing we're doing a we're doing a project like this right now for um, for one of the governments in in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. uh, in, um, we're doing a project like this for them. Uh, we're actually working with the with the pharmaceutical, um, the Ministry of Health actually. Uh, right. The Ministry of Health has contracted us uh, to actually create um, unique identities for all the pharmaceutical products coming into the country, uh, mm. which makes it easy. For them to be able to track uh, uh, track the imports and exports of this of the of the products that's coming into the country, mainly uh, the, the imports mainly coming into the country. So it makes it easy for them to know oh, who are the importers and where is the product coming from and where is the product being used locally. Right. You know, who are the who are those products locally? And if you have uh, another uh, importer who imports, you know, through the back door into that country, you can easily be caught because then you would not have um, copies of our labels. Even when you copy our labels, you can't use it on your product because our labels also have tagged materials on them, which right. can be verified with the device, right? So if you, can't, uh, if you can't verify the label with the handle device and you scan the pin and it shows that the, skin, the pin is not in, in, the, in, the, in the chain, it's not in the blockchain of, of, of our, of our Pins, so basically mm -hmm. it doesn't authenticate. You can easily flag it. Right? We can mm -hmm. easily flag and trace that person or that location, that vendor where they bought the product from, and then they can tell us, you know, to the upstream where they purchased the product from. But you know, what, what I really say is the the chain or the closed loop is really around the supply chain, right? Mm. Because the supply chain is where everything comes from, right? Before the product gets to the final consumer, the product comes in through a producer from another country. We're right. sending it to a distributor in that country. Now, so if, if the producer is already in this network and the distributor is, has to come into this network to trade with this producer, we create a closed loop already, instantly, right. which already reduces the chances of counterfeiters being able to even sell products in that market. You know, this this is kind of solution that uh, blockchain can help governments uh, of countries solve. But yeah. most people are not from this perspective because they think they think it's it's going to take a lot to move your database to the blockchain and all that. But it really doesn't have to happen from there. You know, most mm. of these brands already have um, have their database sitting on one you know either an in-house server or one server farm or the other. But, you know, they, they now think about how do they want to change their processes from that and move it to a blockchain network. But they don't really mm -hmm. have to do that right? because that, that's why private companies like us exist. We, mm -hmm. we just create your new products, your new, your, your new version of your new batches of your products and the likes. I want to put on the system. Right. Put it on the system. It's more like a virtual database for you uh, where you have copies of your, of your products and your information that verifies and validates you as a company and as a producer on that chain, on the, on the blockchain, on our system, 
and that already creates more like a, an account for you, an identity for you that cannot be used by another producer or used by another entity, right? So the entity, that, that, ent that digital form of a business is on the system, which makes it easy for, for us to validate and check back and be sure that well, you are the producer that produces this set of products because this set of identity of products belongs to you, right? We can easily verify that. Now, that makes it also easy for us to say that every distributor that wants to trade with you now needs mm -hmm. to come to this network where we can trade with you. Mm -hmm. right? So it's, it's a problem right. that's, it's a problem that blockchain helps you solve, but the solving of the problem actually starts more from, from the from upstream. It starts more from the supply chain. And then it trickles down to, to the last mile, trickles down to your, um, to your unit products. So typically, when you when you have um, when you have a producer of pharmaceutical product, for instance, um, creating unique serialization for their product, uh, there there are like a series of packaging uh, steps that has to be covered. So you have your your carton, which is the box that comes with the pallet. Right? Mm. So you have your pallet, and then you have like uh, let's say you have like ten boxes on a pallet. Now that pallet will have a unique identity, but the right. unique identity of the pallet to each box now each carton also has a unique identity now for each carton ties to the folding boxes inside of the carton so that's your unit products that's each product that are actually being used and consumed by the consumer right that has a unique box that is tied to the carton now so you can see there's, there's a relationship already there's a relationship with the identity of the brand there's a relationship of that identity with the products that the brand are selling so that relationship, it just makes it very trackable. So by the time a distributor is onboarded into that system, the distributor can align and say, oh, I'm buying this particular product batch that has this particular identity, and it can be traced to that distributor as well. The distributor, the distributor will also have its own, its own identity as well, which also yeah. makes, it trackable, makes him trackable as well. Uh, and he's also putting his own information on the system as well. Uh, and then when the smart contract sees that you've, had, you've added your information and it's verified, it matches you instantly with, with, the, with the producer. And then the trade can happen. The trade happens and you have your products you can sell in the market. Now, if there's a counterfeit or a duplicate of that same product in the market, it can is, instantly flag that duplicate and be certain that you know, this duplicate didn't come from, from the system that, that was verified. It rather came from another source, and then we can trace back that other source where that where that duplicate came from, and and we can find out oh who who did you buy it from? So we go to the pharmacy and say hey, who did you get the supplies from? Pharmacy introduces us to to their own supplier, so that's upstream of the illicit traders, mm -hmm. and you know they they can stop easily that way. So if you have this kind of system set up in most countries in Africa, for instance, it's very easy to to start reducing the effect of counterfeits in the markets. Okay, right. right. Thing is, the thing is to educate the consumers, have consumers being educated that, oh, they need to also verify and validate products um, when they are buying them. So that way, you can always have that information, you know, double check that information on the consumption level, on, on, on the purchase area where the consumers are actually buying this product. You know, so they can easily trace it and know oh, which ones are, you know, flagged and which ones are actually valid products that have been sold in the market. So what, what we really need, this, this, are, this are more, this is just a high level touch of how blockchain 
is efficiently useful in solving supply chain and last mile delivery challenges in Africa. Mm. Do you have a hard time educating your clients? Or is it that by the time your client by the time your clients come to you, they already know what the the potential of the technology is? So it's it's pretty straightforward. Uh, to, to be honest, it's oftentimes it's quite challenging. Uh, mm. It could be That's what I thought. To, to... <laughs> <laughs> yes, I guess. Could however, however, we so what we do is we kind of come from their own angle. Right. T take for instance our consumer intelligence product, which is very similar to where you have labels on each product. Right? We just call it consumer intelligence because it's more consumer facing, right? Mm -hmm. Because the labels are what consumers need to scan and check before they can uh, authenticate the product. But we call it consumer intelligence because we gather data for producers through the same system. Now, when we go to a producer to sell this, we don't walk in and tell them, hey guys, hi, we're selling blockchain, no. <laughs> of course not. They <laughs> walk in and tell them, hey, look, you have this challenge of connecting directly with your consumers, right? You don't, you are a brand, you are a Nestle, right? You mm -hmm. are high up. Right? Your consumers are like way far from you because you don't sell to them directly. You sell to your distributors. Mm -hmm. But we can help you directly with your consumers through a system that allows bilateral communication directly with your consumers, which also then gives you data about what your consumers are actually thinking about your products. Because at mm. the end of the day, consumers is what really affects their production, their sales, everything that they do, right? So we basically tell them that we've, this tool helps them to engage directly with their consumers. So we go and also we tell them that, look, your marketing spend, you already have a marketing spend. You already spend on promotions, you spend on marketing. So we're not asking you to create a new budget to use our solution. We're telling you the budget you already have for marketing, make it give you more in, more return on investment, right? Because then our system would give you that return on investment where you'd be able to understand better your consumers and be able to use that data you get to make better sales volume, basically. That's so that's saying. so that's I was gonna add that's that's your selling point. That's how you get it done. Yeah. Mm, yeah. That's interesting. How, that's how we... Interesting. But blockchain can be used in a lot of different industries, right? Like we can use it for voting. Like Estonia is a completely e country, so I believe they use blockchain for voting as well as in other mm -hmm. in other areas. And you can use it for insurance companies are using it, and. Healthcare companies are using it. It's being used in lots of different space, industries. The space industry is using it. So, I mean, interestingly, I was talking to a friend recently about how this blockchain could also be, this distri uh, distributed ledger network could also be used for, for tracking in space, you know, leveraging mm -hmm. space tools. So you'd have um, your your area networks or your, your high-end satellites that can actually connect with sensors and that these sensors can constantly report their location to mm -hmm. the distributed ledger. Mm -hmm. And so that distributed ledger constantly tell you the true location of that item throughout the time it was moving, right? Because it's getting its location through a GPS uh, and it's storing that location 
directly on a distributed ledger. You know, so there, there's several there's several ways that you can actually use and leverage the blockchain network to solve key problems. Just like you mentioned, yes, it, it works perfectly for e-voting as well. You know, mm -hmm. e-voting is one of the things that we're seeing the world go 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 into. Estonia is a country that they, they're already very much in that e-evolution space. Uh, Estonia is essentially space. Estonia is essentially a startup. Like the country is run like a startup. It is. It is really. It's it's it's, so cool. it's very open to innovation, and and they they're actually making use of these technologies to do to do really cool stuff. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, in Nigeria, in Nigeria now, the um, the CBN is is not necessarily in support of cryptocurrencies and the likes because the truth is they just they just don't understand it. Right. right? And they don't want to own currency because they don't have that enough knowledge about it. But the, the truth is the country. Um, the people in the country, people in Nigeria, uh, at least 10% or 5% are very, very active uh, cryptocurrency traders. You know, people mm -hmm. actually buy and sell. There's several groups, there's several groups, a WhatsApp group that people buy and sell mm -hmm. cryptocurrencies because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they found out that this actually helps them make a living, surprisingly. You know, so it's, it's, it's something that, you know, is going to happen very soon. There's going to be that complete shift to, to blockchain products uh, very soon in our everyday lives because it's going to be mainstream. And it's it's one of the things that we are trying to achieve as well with, with the Check It app, uh, with the loyalty points that we give for every time you scan. Mm -hmm. We're actually looking at very soon that we're going to be coming up with our own um, uh, our own tokens, our own cryptocurrency, where these loyalty mm -hmm. points will actually be cryptocurrencies that can be used to transact and pay for stuff um, mm -hmm. in real life. Mm, interesting. Actually, envisioning how um, blockchain can go mainstream with our yeah. products, people can use yeah. it every day, but without without thinking in the back of their mind that they're actually using a blockchain platform. However, they they have that thoughts that that mentality that they trust the system because right. it's always returns whatever it says it's going to return. Right? It's mm. it's easy. It's 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 a different scenario when you say it when you say to people that hey. Trust this stuff because it does not lie. It's a different scenario when you show them, right, when they actually feel it and they see that, oh, this stuff actually does say what is what is good, what is gonna, it actually does stick to exactly what it says it, it has, right? So it, once, you, once you realize that your coins are changing and your coins are actually returning value to you, they're actually growing uh, in value as you are actually using the platform more, you know? So this, this real life, Effects has uh, even though it's tiny and incremental, but it, it has this effect on people's subconscious that it makes them trust trust the system more. Yeah. Now that we're near the end, at the end of every podcast, I always ask okay. the guests to either we don't like to give advice, but we like to share lessons. So, what lessons have you learned from being an entrepreneur? from building your company or from working in, in this technology that you'd like to share with us? Um, so I would say most of the time, most of my experiences has been around learning to fail quickly, mm. right? So uh, I, just, I just try as much as possible to, um, to think, you know, mm -hmm. look at the pros and cons and mm -hmm. then take an action, right? Make a decision and take an action. So you don't spend too much time on the drawing board without actually going out there to test to test the waters. Um, so 
another thing is listening to your customers. It's very important to listen to your customers and entrepreneur. If you, right. you're starting off, you want a problem, you want to solve a key problem, but mm-hmm. you need to listen to are going to use that solution, first of all, even before you build it out. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah, yeah. Earlier on, I, I have skills in, um, in UI UX, right? So user interface design and user experience design. Um, mm-hmm. But then I, I use this skill to actually test out my products before I even build them at all, right? So uh, you engage with people that are likely going to use your solution, first of all. Uh, engage with them one-on-one. You know, speak to them and let them tell you what their real challenge is, what their problem, what their pain point is. That would, if, if you speak with 10, 15, 50 people and they have these same pain points or they point out to you uh, one particular pain point, and that that resonates resonates with over fifty to sixty percent of them. Then that's mm-hmm. something you should build out. That's a feature you should build out first and yeah. give it to them to use. I mean, you you might not necessarily be looking at um, making money instantly, but trust me, if you want to make money instantly from your products, you can. Um, this business I started up, check it, um, uh, bootstrapping, right? We yeah. started off building up the company and making money um, from the very first day we got our first clients, our first uh, pilot clients, mm-hmm. so to say, because uh, we made sure that the technology was enough value for that user to pay for it. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's, it, you understand that core, core problem. So that's the thing. You need to find a very huge problem, a mm-hmm. problem that's big enough to, to solve mm-hmm. and also big enough for that client to want to pay for more. Right. Mm. So if the mm. client wants to it, you solve that key challenge, trust me, from day one, you you most likely start making money from your business. Mm. Got it. Thank you so much. It was really nice talking to you, Diary. Uh, my pleasure, Joanne. So pleasure. do you think so, so do you think right. do you think you're going to this is this is it for you, or do you think you're going to start another business? Oh well, um, I gotta sell this one first, or just break <laughs> into something, something that goes IPO or something. Oh and wow, you have big plans. Uh, yeah, the future is uh, not certain, but yeah. it's kind of forming in my mind. Yeah, so I don't know yet. I can't say. And then maybe you can go back to being a geologist. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, for so for sure, uh, I do have a plan of starting off a company that relates with uh, what I learned as a geologist, definitely. Nice, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, do know, I do know very huge problems uh, that needs to be solved that has not been solved yet. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us, Dari. Pleasure, Joanne. And Anytime. for breaking down, for so breaking down. Sorry, say that again. So thank you very much for having me as well. Yeah, and for breaking down the technology into layman's terms so that people can understand. But there's lots of I'm information. There's lots of information on the internet now, and there's there's a lot going around. So if if people are keen yeah. to learn about blockchain, they can really learn. So totally. yeah, I mean exactly. There's so much information online. It just it just takes a Google search. Absolutely. And I wish you and your team continued success. And then maybe you can come back on the podcast when you're about to launch your next company and tell us all about that. Oh, no. Once you've, once you've, you know, check it has, you know, it's an IPO and all of that has happened. You can come back and talk to us about that process and then the next company that you're going to start. Definitely. 
Definitely. Okay. Definitely. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. Okay, it's my uh, pleasure. pleasure to be here. Yeah, okay. it's good talking to you as well. Okay, until next time. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you. Hey there, Rare Ones. I hope you enjoyed listening into this week's conversation. The Rare Birds podcast is available for listen across all major platforms, including Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Anchor, and several more. Please share our conversations with your friends. Don't forget to subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can do so by opting in on our homepage of our website, www.rarebirdshq.com. The weekly newsletter provides analysis and data around the topics explored in our weekly conversations. Lastly, I would love your feedback and spend way too much time on Twitter. My handle is included in the notes section of each episode. Tweet me your thoughts, ideas, opinions, and feedback because I'm always looking for ways to improve my craft. If you absolutely love what you heard, then rate us on your favorite podcast platform. See you next week for more conversation. Bye for now.